think. Turn with me to John 6. As Phyllis said, we're going to be in uh, Colorado next weekend, um, and this event is on Saturday, so we are um, excited, blessed to get to go to this. It was a, kind of a surprise to make a decision to go, and um, so um, I am trusting, like... Um, That as we go, we're we're part of history in this moment, and um, there is an explosion uh, at this moment. It's not a new thing, but the revelation of the power that is contained in communion and what we take—it's taken it to a whole different level. Lou Engel, in in the midst of this thing that grew in him and has been growing in him and the different prophetic people that are around him they they have a storyline if you want to listen to it uh, just uh, uh, search on YouTube Lou Engel communion uh, revival and uh, one of those videos is uh, him and another man I forget his name and they're just talking about all the countless prophetic words and this whole group of prophetic prayer and intercessory prayer people that are, that are just like, uh, it's just coming together. It's not a man-made thing. or just relate out of relationships they have, the dreams, the visions, the things that they have. And in the midst of this, Lou had this, this desire, felt this leading to watch uh, a nuclear bomb go off. Like, you know, you can, you can look that up on YouTube. Hopefully, you know, no... No one was harmed in the, you know, experimentation of this bomb. But, um, and he I thought about showing the video and just showing a clip of, of that. And uh, the one that's on, they show it on the show that they do on that YouTube show. And, of course, we know the, uh, an ex a nuclear explosion is that mushroom cloud thing. And you're looking at this. Of course, you're way, the camera's way far away. And, and it goes off and, boom, it shoots up and... And um, it's, it's silent. And then all of a sudden, the sound, this tremendous sound starts to build up. You know, and it, and it grows and you, you see this. And he, he said he's watched this over and over and over. And as he watched it the first time, the Lord said, that's the power that's in my blood. That's the power that's in communion. And you're like, oh, Lord, we're sipping a cup of juice and taking bread, and we are clueless in Seattle. And um, I remember how often I've taken communion, <laughs> uh, confessions from the pastor, and uh, especially over the years. And it's like, man, I, I'm struggling to get this, like, you know, like just being honest, like, and uh, most of the time through my life, taking it was just out of obedience. I know we're told to, we're commanded to, and then by bits and pieces we start to get revelation about it. 
But even when we're having a good day and we think we're getting it, I think we're, we're just barely scratching the surface. And the testimonies in Benny Johnson's book, uh, The Power of Communion, um, I really recommend it. It's so uplifting. It's good. It'll give you insight. There's a chapter in there by Bill Johnson as well. It's just, it's good stuff because what you need is contained in there. I remember I went through Psalms 103 and said, you know, all of his benefits, it's pretty much all the stuff we need. We need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need healing. We need emotional healing, spiritual healing. We need, we need change. We need transform. We need prospered. We need blessed, our stuff. And it's all in that, all of his benefits. And when you tap into communion, when you do it with faith, you're doing much more, as Kurt has said. Thank you. It, it can't be a ritual. And you just do it that way. Wow. Some people are going to be really surprised. Like, it doesn't count for anything if you don't do it with whatever is without faith is sin. Do you understand that? That's why I'd rather see someone set back than to do something not believing that it pleased the Lord. Don't, don't do it just because the people around you are doing it, whatever it is. Like this walk of faith, it's got to be genuine to you, authentic to you. You've got to come to a place of knowing and honestly, I will have more respect for a person, or I would encourage a person, if you don't have faith to walk that out, don't, don't do it. Don't try this at home. You'll just get hurt. You'll just go broke. Like, don't just give your money to the church, like, or ministry or whatever, like, unless it's in faith. We, I don't need, we don't need money that's not given in faith. That's the truth. God doesn't need your money. But he has you give and the command to give because why? He wants to reciprocate that. And you have to sow into it to receive because it's a principle. It's like gravity. It's a principle. You reap what you sow. Sow, sow good seeds. Sow things. And sow them in faith believing. And what a difference when you do that believing. The power that's in communion. So, Cindy Vincent is not here today. She bought this book, uh, the other book by Benny Johnson, The Power of Communion. And then while she was looking, she, she saw this book too, The Power of Communion, but by Derek Prince. Larry said this, it, that he saw it, ran across that too. Like, yeah, that's. And the, this was updated in 2017, but um, I don't know, I couldn't find just at a glance when he had actually wrote this, or if it was his ministry team after he had passed away that put, put this booklet together. But uh, same title, and uh, she sends us, she sends Phyllis and I both a copy because we fight over books, and it's like, don't write in my book. Yeah, but that's my book, you know. All right. so, so she, you know, helps keep our marriage on good, good ground, and if she buys the book, she buys us too. So, right, wise, because that's how I buy books, you know. But one for her, one for me. So <clears throat> she doesn't like the highlighting, and I don't like her scribbly underlining. Yeah, so we're happy. Keeps the marriage good, yeah? And so we're reading our copies, you know, and she started reading, and it's like, oh, this is really good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read it. I was up early this morning, and I, as I woke up, I'm like, I need to just read through that book. I, I got stuck on chapter 6 of John, but um, I, I started reading just, just to read and listen. Receive. I'm like, oh boy, this was so good. This is so good. 
And he goes back to the first communion. Derek Prince was an amazing Bible teacher, kind of a line upon line guy, not real exciting to listen to, but solid as a rock and, you know, very powerful in the anointing of preach, teaching the word. And he begins with this. What's the, the question is, when was the first communion? And we're like, well, you know, at the table where all the disciples were lined up on one side of the table for the picture, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. What was the last thing, you know, Jesus said? Like, everybody that wants in the picture of this side of the table, you know, that, that, that's, that's silly stuff. He said, actually, the first communion shows up with Melchizedek and Abram. I'm like, what? And then I remembered, I even taught out of that portion a little while ago, and there was a king of Sodom, and another bad king, and, and Abraham goes, and, and I'm like, Abraham, don't think of him as this like genteel old man with a cane walking through life. Like, he went after the people that stole some, some of their people and their stuff, and uh, he's like King David. He went back, and he came back with the stuff. I don't know what was left of the enemy when he was done, but it wasn't, wasn't pretty. And even the king of Solomon, or Sodom, I remember something about Sodom. Hmm, kind of a not a good reputation, huh? That king offered Abram, he goes, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this if you do that. You know, kind of like, you know, let's make a deal. And Abram looks at him and says, I don't want anything. I won't take anything from you. Discernment. It's like, I know what's in your heart. It says, lest you say that, that the king of Sodom made Abram rich. His name wasn't Abraham yet. And he's like, he went, no, but Melchizedek, this mysterious priest out of the Old Testament, comes and gives Abram a gift. He comes with bread and wine. And Derek's like, there it is. Clear back in, in there. And, and uh, he points out that Melchizedek was the king, king of um, Salem. It's like, that never really bent, you know, we know it wasn't Salem, Ohio, right? Yeah, he wasn't from there. And I was like, Salem. And it's like, where was Salem? You know, it's like kind of, where is this? Actually, here's what Derek said, because he's a very good Bible teacher. He said, that's Jerusalem. They added the J-E-R-U to Salem, Jerusalem. Man, all these years, I did not see that, did not know that. I'm like, I'll be. That's where Melchizedek, Mel, Melchizedek was from. He's a type of Christ. And uh, there's a lot of teaching and speculation about, you know, was he an in, a pre-incarnated Jesus, you know? It's like, I don't know, whatever he was, he was mysterious and he was awesome. And he came and blessed Abram and uh, the game was on. So, communion starts there, goes through, and I'm reading this book, good stuff, and he, he starts referring to John 6. So, I want to start there. The beginning of this is Jesus multiplying food, one of those things that he did, you know? Showed his disciples, like, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? Watch this, you know, multiplies food. Then he walks on water. I don't know if it's the same event as is recorded in the other Gospels or if it's another time that he walked on water. Who knows? He could do as many times, you know. And then 
the story begins in verse 22 about that Jesus is he's the living bread, and it, it gets into this subject again. So I'm going to begin to read out of John chapter 6. I'm like, oh, my, there's so much good in this. I'm just going to read through this and t- teach out of this today. The next morning, the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake near the place where they had eaten the bread and multiplied after, after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded, and they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. So when the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from Tiberias, um, which was... Uh, and, and realized Jesus and the disciples weren't there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to search for him. When they finally found him, they asked him, Teacher, how did you get here? So they were following him. This is a massive crowd, a multitude. He had fed them. And in verse, let me go back to one important verse I missed. In verse 15 is this scripture I've known about for a long time. It's very interesting. It says, Jesus, knowing that they were about to take, take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up to the mountainside alone. So there was something Jesus perceived. It's like, that's a strange verse and a strange situation, but Jesus perceived there was something in their hearts. And it's like, after all, he's the king of kings and the people are finally ready to get behind him. But he was like, no, that's not what this is. They... They actually, the people, and people will do this, they wanted to, uh, I'm going to use a strong word here, so hang on, but um, they wanted to prostitute him, to use him for his leadership, but not really be married to him, for his ability to draw a crowd, for his ability to do miracles, for his ability to be the Messiah. Hey, this guy fits the bill. And Jesus discerned what was in their heart. And he'll explain really graphically as we go through here. And he discerned that, unfortunately, there may be leaders in churches that are prostituted. They are not leading the church. They are found by a people that are governing and ruling them. And I I just am grieved when I see that in a church or in a ministry. It's very hard to manage this thing where you you stay free but you're accountable as well it's 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 a tightrope walk it really is don't want to be controlled but you want to have people around you i, I have the perfect situation so i'll just that's all i'll say we we built a family community here where i'm free to lead but i'm also accountable to the people that i'm walking with the ones that see me every day know who i am what i'm made of when I have a bad attitude and when I do this, that, you know, it's all good. It's good. It's healthy. It's, it's community. It's kingdom. So Jesus, he got away from those people. There was something about that mob that was dangerous, especially when they saw what he could do. So keeping that in mind, I'm going to jump to verse 25. When they finally found him, they asked him, teacher, how did you get, hey, get here? How'd you get away from us? We had our eye on you. Jesus replied, let me make this. And, of course, that was the deal about him walking on water. The disciples realized he had left. They went, jumped in the boat and went after him, and he comes walking on the water and approaching them. 
Okay. Let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I, I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Underline that. Not because you believe in me. See, you can be impressed with something or someone and still not believe in them. We, we have to have discernment about this in a lot of areas of life. Celebrity, celebrities find this. They get their acclaim or are athletes, are, are, you know, professional athletes that get all this acclimate and, and this money and, and all of this, you know, as long as they're doing well. But it's different when you applause and praise something or someone, throw money at it, at them, and because it gives you a sense of belonging and you want to identify with that and da-da-da, but you don't necessarily believe in them if something happens to them, if they fall from your graces, then you're like, kick, kick them to the curb. Or if they do something that offends you or is too hard, you're like, I'm out of here, I'm done. We have that in some other organizations that I won't mention. Let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I led, fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's works? God's work. Jesus answered in verse 29, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. So we're back to this. Like, are you, keep, are you stuck on this subject? Uh-huh. Because if you don't believe in me, nothing else really matters. Nothing else counts. You must believe. You must believe in him. They replied, show us a miracle so we can see it. Here they go. Revealing their hearts like here's what they're really after. Dinner and a show. <laughs> that's, that's really funny, actually. And listen, and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestors. People pray like this. Have you ever prayed like this? God, if you do this, then I'll believe. It's like, um, sorry, it doesn't work that way. He just doesn't do that, let's make a deal thing. He, he doesn't. He doesn't play games well. He's bad sport. He just doesn't play. He doesn't engage. He won't engage when we pray like that. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert just like the scripture says, he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. And you can see the communion story. The communion revelation is building in this story, isn't it? It's just this bread, food, bread, bread of life, and the bread from heaven. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day, they replied. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. 
come every day to me. Listen to the language in, in relation to what we're seeing here. Like This isn't a once a month Sunday take communion. Like we're, man, I hope we're way away, way beyond that. This is, this is like good stuff and it gives us a love prophetic actions. Prophetic acts. As I was telling our history and our story to some of our visitors that came last week and they were just things by the grace of God that ministered to them as I, as I shared to bear witness with them in, in their journey. We all are on a journey, aren't we? And then we find someone that speaking things like encourages you. And it's like they ask this question like, what did you do? Or I was telling them when we got the word about having a building here, I had no money. We had no resources. We had no great plans. We had no great talent. We didn't even have a great pastor, like honestly. I was there. I know him. Yeah. So I took some recycled wood. We didn't call it then, but there was some old treated four by fours that I had, and I put three crosses on the hill somewhere right here. It was up higher at the time, but right here. It was my prophetic act. Somehow I just knew to do something, and that was what I did. And it was like, yeah, this, this as well. And I put them up, and we started throwing rocks at those crosses representing our burdens and our whatever, and yeah, and it was here. And weeds grew around it and all those things. We had to try to mow it and keep it clean, and, you know, and it went on for year after year after year after year. Anytime, Lord, like, this is good, you know. Maybe now we'll get our building. Maybe now this will come to happen. It was a prophetic word. Several people confirmed, like, they saw building back here. And they were fascinated with, they went, yeah, a prophetic act. It's, it's not something you do striving. It's something, it's an action you take to affirm that word. That's, again, it, it gives me understanding of what those altars were all about when the prophets and different people, and you know, they journeyed through the land. And they build an altar at Bethel. They build an altar here. They build an altar there. It's like, why? So they would remember there was something that happened here. And it was all they could do. They couldn't make it come to pass, but they could mark a spot on the earth so that every time they passed by there, they remembered the word, they remembered the visitation, they remembered the manifestation, they remembered what happened at this place. And, and, and it, I would encourage you, if there are ways uh, that you can build an altar at certain occasions in your life, do it. Do something that symbolizes the words you got. That's not an act of the flesh. That's, that's a prophetic act in the spirit. And you'll be surprised how powerful it is. When you have a prophetic word and you actually put, put some substance to it. So that you can remember that. You're not striving to make it come to pass. You're just saying, here's the spot. Here's the time. This is when the Lord spoke something to me and I believed it. So I, I did something. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty. Yet I've told you that even though you've seen me, you still don't believe in me. But everyone my Father has given to me, they will come. And all who come to me, I will embrace and will never turn them away. 
And I have come out of heaven, not for our own desires, but of for the satisfaction of my Father who sent me. My Father who sent me has determined that I will not lose even one of those he has given to me, and I will raise them up in the last day. For the longing of my Father is that everyone who embraces the Son and believes in him will experience eternal life, and I will raise him up in, that la in the last day. When the Jews who were hostile to Jews, Jesus, heard him say, I am the bread that came down from, from heaven, they got triggered. <laughs> they went, you know, <laughs> they immediately began to complain, how can he say these things about himself? We know him and we know his parents. How dare he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus responded, stop your grumbling. I heard that. You ever have Jesus say to you, I heard that, like, I wasn't praying. I didn't mean for you to hear that, you know? You grumbled, you complained, you, you know. Spirit's like, I heard that, like. The only way people come to me is by the Father who sent me. He pulls on their hearts to embrace me, and those who are drawn to me, I will certainly raise them up in the last day. Jesus continued, it has been written by the prophets. They will all be taught by God himself. If you are really listening to the Father and learning directly from him, you will come to me, for I am the only one who has come from the Father's side, and I have seen the Father. I speak to you living truth. Unite your heart to me and believe, and you will experience eternal life. I am the true bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died, but standing here before you is the true bread that comes out of heaven, and when you eat this bread, you will never die. This is all building to something. I alone am, live, I alone am this living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I will offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. These words of Jesus sparked an angry outburst among the Jews. They protested, saying, Does this man expect us to eat his body? We're thinking the same thing. <laughs> like, these, this is your heart. These are hard words. This is where we have to be careful criticizing the people stop following him because if you were hearing it from the first time from him, this is like turns you out kind of like sideways, upside down, just to hear this kind of language. Like, strange. This is weird. I don't know if I can follow you anymore. Jesus replied to them. Remember, this is the crowd that wanted to exalt him, make him king, make him whatever. I think they're changing their mind at this moment in the story. Like, um, you know what? We'll pass. We're going to look for somebody else. Someone that cooperates better and doesn't say offensive things to us. Jesus replied to them, listen to this eternal truth unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You will not have eternal life. And, you know, that radio static that goes off, like lost signal, like, gee. 
Eternal life comes to the one who eats my body and drinks my blood, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit, and my blood is real drink. In his journeys, Derek Prince was, um, he was a lot in other countries, Africa and Pakistan and all these places. And um, he makes this comment about, um, he was in a community in Palestine, and during my time in Ramallah, I discovered that when Arab believers take the Lord's Supper, they actually say in Aramic, Arabic, 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 take the Lord's Supper, they actually say in Arabic, we want to drink the blood of Jesus. They actually use that word. We'd like, can you imagine? I mean, even, yeah. I mean, even in church here, like, hey, we're going to drink the Lord's blood today. Like, be like, um, take her easy, you know. This is, this is where it really hits the road. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the reality really starts to set in. You're like, oh, this, oh boy. I think the Catholics are a little bit ridiculous with their transubstantiation, da, 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 da. And, you know, the further I get into this, I'm wondering if they're more right than I am. Just saying. Derek Prince wrote this. He says, this is what I believe. He was talking about some, well, I just, uh, no, that'll be off track. Here we go. This is what I believe. When you take communion in faith, from then on, your body is different from the body of a person who has never partaken of the body and blood of the Lord. He, he believed this adamantly, that after after becoming a believer, that once you take the take communion, that you're you're changed. Like, and you look at this and you go, hmm. You're saved by grace, not by works. But there are two things after conversion that we're commanded to do. What are they? Baptism which is for what purpose we're, we're, this is all explained to us. You don't do it first. You do it after. You call on the name of the Lord, and you do it to identify with his death, buried, so that you can identify with his resurrection life. And Paul goes into great detail in Romans 6, talking about the, the old body is dead. We consider ourselves dead to the flesh, we're dead to that thing. We're alive to God. We've been resurrected. We've been raised up with him. We died with him, and then we raised up with him. That's the revelation of baptism. And I always tell Brad Salisbury this. Like, on the day that I baptized him up at Sandy Lake years ago, I, when I did his baptism, I had a revelation. Like, he's my altar walking around because I had a revelation about baptism at, the, at his baptism. Do you know what's left after you baptize a person and they get dried off? What sign is there 
Red dot? No. Special haircut? No. Clothes? What we pray for and hope for is what's left is a changed life, but there's no mark. It's water, and once you get the towel and dry off, get your hair fixed and get your clothes back on, nobody knows. Jesus designed it that way. So there's not a mark you take. You're to be a transformed person after that. The mark is you're a follower of Jesus. The mark is you can't sin anymore. You can't just go live your life. You, there's something that stops you. There's something that's changed your, your heart and attitude. You're a different person. And people go, hey, what's up with you? You're different. You notice, huh? Yeah, you're, you're happier. Like, that heaviness is gone. That's, you, there's a bounce to your step. Like, what, what's going on? Are you on something? Isn't it fascinating? Of all the religions in the world, there's always a mark, there's a clothing, there's some, some thing, you know? And, and for us, the Lord made, made it very clear, it's not a mark. There's not a thing. You get baptized, and when you dry off, no one can tell except you're, you're a changed person. And then the second thing is to partake of communion, to eat that bread, and drink that blood so that because his blood is explosively and he even Derek Prince I'm reading in the foreword and I'm like oh my gosh that it says I think it was I think it was Derek Prince that wrote this teacher I simply related, relate this added testimony to underline the fact that my wonderful friend and teacher, this was Mahesh Shavda writing about him, Derek Prince, truly lived the great revelations he shared, his profound teachings, the exchange at the cross, the finished work of Christ, and God's atomic we weapon, the blood of Jesus. And there's Lou Engel feeling he's supposed to watch an atomic bomb blow up, so that, and the Lord's like, that's my blood. That's the power of the blood. That's what you take when you take, that's what you're partaking of. That's what you're tapping into when you take communion. And a nuclear explosion, what's more powerful than that? Like, wow. It's that power, that dunamis power. That's, that's what we partake of. And so instead of running to the pill you know, counter and running to the things that we run to for comfort, for help, for relief. Let's set up a communion altar in our homes. I mean, the false religions have altars in their houses. I, I've heard stories where people come from other countries and they're like, where's your altar? Like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't have a place where we do that. Like, we think that's ridiculous. We're Christians. I'm telling you what, folks, we need, we need a place in our home. We need a, a sanctified place. We need a, you know, it's like, and it's, it's not that it's religious. It's like, but we need a place where we come and meet with the Lord. I wonder if, ever, what if often, daily, you're taking communion in your household. And in that, there's, I love it. The more we do it, that's when we pray. Like, and the, there's something about communion that gives you a something to do. Again, the prophetic act. 
And you come before the Lord and you keep remembering and you're getting more and more revelation of what's involved, what's, con per what's contained in it, how far reaching is. And you go, wow, how, how far can we take this? And the Spirit's like, good question. How long can you ride the ride? Can you go up the hill like a roller coaster and get to the top and go over the precipice and you know, Maxwell, you're down, you know, like it's that kind of a ride. There's really not limitations to this. And the invitation is come, partake of me. I'm the bread of life. Eat my body, drink my blood. Like, oh, there's, it's, it's hard to stand here and even say those words when you go, is this real? When you really start looking at, oh my gosh, we have the need. Isn't it time for the solution? That we, we, we go to the Lord because everything you need is in this. You need counsel, advice, it's in this. You need finances, it's in this. You need bondage broken in your life, it's in this. The secret, I did not know about this, about Derek Prince, Mahash, Mahesh Shavda tells the story of how when he was ministering with him, and he must have done quite a bit over in these countries that I mentioned, Africa and Pakistan and different, different countries, and they would travel together and they would uh, do ministry. And when they would go to a city and go to a place, they would meet with the local pastors and, and, he, and Derek Prince would teach them the word of God in the mornings and have these sessions and then they would have lunch together and then Derek and his team, whoever was with him and Mahesh Shabda, they would go to the hotel wherever they were staying and uh, for a rest, just to rest before the evening meetings when they had these big, you know, meetings that they would do. Sometimes Mahesh would teach at them. And Mahesh is saying we would go and without fail, wherever we stayed, we'd get into our rooms and start to relax. He said, I'd hear a knock at my door. And it was Derek Prince standing in his pajamas. Got his, you know, how it feels. Just get the, get the shoes off and the tight pants off and the whatever, you know, and relax for a little bit. He stand there in his pajamas with his, he had a little case that he carried communion in. He's like, let's take communion. They come into his room. He pray over this and pray over this, and they would take communion every day in their ministry trip, and then he'd get back up, go rest, take a nap, do whatever, and then they would go back at it that night. Did this all the time. Who knew? I did. What dedication? Because why? Because he saw the revelation, the power that was in it. He's like, I need that power. Him and his wife, when they would minister, they would always quote Isaiah 55, the, that, the, that the word, it, it, it's powerful, and that it doesn't, the Lord sends it from heaven, and it doesn't come back from earth until it accomplishes the purpose it was sent to do. And they, and they quoted that because they said, here's the power of, to transform lives, the power of the word. We'll stand here, we'll obey the Lord, we'll minister it, but, but we're declaring, we're making a declaration over you. The word hitting you, the word touching your heart, the, it, will, it will change you. This is great news, people. You don't have to convict people. 
The Holy Spirit will do that work. You don't have to change people's minds. I don't? No. Just be you and follow Jesus. The Spirit will be at work. He will lead. He will guide. He will rescue. And besides, how's it working out for you anyways when you're working so hard to do the Holy Spirit's job? Just chaos, right? A lot of drama in our family. Try pulling up a little bit and trust the Lord. See, see if things don't change. Because in the end, you won't change anybody's mind. You won't change their heart. But boy, if the Spirit, you commit them to the Lord and truly trust the Spirit, we got all the language. We just not, aren't very good at walking it out. We know all this stuff. We're almost, we're almost dull of hearing because we know it. But to take it and put it into practice in your life, try it and see. Let me finish this passage. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Verse 57, the father of life sent me and he is my life in the same way the one who feeds upon me. I will become his life. I am not like the bread your ancestors ate and later died. I am the living bread that comes from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. Jesus preached this sermon in the synagogue at Capernaum. And when many of the Jesus followers heard these things, it caused a stir that distinguishing, that's distinguishing. They said, how could anybody accept it without anyone telling him? Jesus knew what they were outraged, that they were outraged and told them, are you offended over my teaching? What will you do when you see the son of man ascending into the realm from where he came? What will you do then when I go What will you say about that? Because he said, that's coming. <laughs> and it did come, didn't it? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life and which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. In fact, Jesus already knew from the beginning who the skeptics were and who his traitors would be. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one embraces me unless the Father has given you to me. And so from that time on, many of the disciples turned their backs on Jesus and refused to be associated with him. And honestly, it would have been a hard saying to accept. It would have been, it would have been hard, very hard. You'd have to go home from that meeting and that teaching and go, whoa, how can I, wow. So Jesus said to his 12, he says, well, guys, while we're here, <laughs> you ever, are you ever in one of those situations and someone looks to you and go, while we're, you know, in the midst of this problem, we might as well get right to the heart of it. Do you also want to leave? He would have allowed them. He chose them and called them, but he did not restrain them. Do you, want, do you want to go? Is this where you want to check out? Peter spoke up and said, but Lord, we're stuck. <laughs> where would we go? 
I've had those kind of interactions with the Lord. You know, it's tough. You're like, I can't take this anymore. Da da da. You know that thing we get to. We've been there a couple hundred times. Do this anymore? This is crazy. Like da 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 da. And we rant. We go on. You know, and and somewhere in the midst of that ranting, the Spirit goes, "Do you want to quit? Do you want to go?" Phyllis, bless her heart, she's had times she's like, curse God and die. Like, this is, you know, this is insane. Only her thing was more like, you know, either become a Christian and be a pastor or quit, you know, that, that thing. Like, either get faith or you're right in the middle of two worlds. So true. It was so true. Trying to walk this out but not believing in the power. That's like shoot yourself in the foot, you know. That's like dumb. And that's very dangerous living like that. At some point, you're like, am I in or am I out? What? i got to make a decision here. And Jesus was asking the disciples the same thing. With me? Without me? With me? Without me? Where would we go? No one but you gives us the revelation of eternal life. We're hooked. Your words have life. We can't understand half of it, but we know there's life. It's okay to not understand. That's the greatest thing you can come to. You go, you know what? I don't have to understand all this. What I don't know, I don't know. It's very liberating. You go, people ask you tough questions like, oh, I have no idea. But I am smart enough to get, not give my opinion because it's worthless. We're fully convinced that you are the anointed one, the son of the living God, and we believe in you. Was this not what Jesus said to these, all this multitude and this crowd? But do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? Comes to his disciples. What do they attest to? They're like, this is tough. We're having a hard time. We won't get any sleep tonight. But we believe in you. Can you come to that resolve in your life, maybe once and for all? Like you shut the door to the escape route and go, but I believe in you. Where else would I go? I can't go back. I can't go back. Too much invested. I can't. If I threaten to, I'm blowing smoke, you know? I'm like, I, I can't. I can't quit. I can't go anywhere else. I have to follow you, Jesus. That's, that was Paul. He was a, a, a um, uh, what was the name of the slave? A, the, all the thing, the bond servant, yes. And he attested that. He's like, I was a slave to love. I couldn't, I couldn't walk away. I, once I encountered the Lord, I, I, it would have been healthier for me to walk away. I would have got beaten a whole lot less if I'd have walked away. The stonings are not fun. 101, how to take a stoning, you know, like, do you bow over, do you know, you get on your, do you run, do you, you know, what do you do when you encounter a bear? You know, we have instructions about that. Don't look the bear in the eye, get down, do this, you know. I hope I just never encounter a bear in the woods, yeah. How do you avoid persecution? Um, don't. It comes. It comes. And we believe in you. Do you have that video ready, Ash? Another 
testimony, affirmation of this move. Bethel's last album was called Simple, and it's a picture of communion, the communion table. And uh, this is the number one song on this uh, album that just came out this past week. Everything changed It's getting harder to recognize The person I was Before I encountered Christ I don't walk like I used to I don't talk like I used to I've been washed from the inside I've been washed from the inside out
say thank you is not enough Jesus your grace your mercy poured out for us I will love you forever here on earth into heaven I've been washed from the inside I've been washed from the inside out from the inside out How precious How generous Your blood poured out for us How precious how generous we remember you paid it in full you paid it in blood you paid it for us One of the things I want to share before we leave is one of the things that um, Derek Prince spoke, and he said this. He said, when you take communion, that, that you not only, um, how did he put this? He said, the person that takes communion is raised on the last days. At that moment, you have eternal life. You are different from the person that does not. Therefore, right now, there is eternal life, and you will be raised up on the last days. Now, we hear that over and over at different ways. But when he spoke that, I remember thinking, this makes me want to cry. My dad was 87 when he finally gave his heart to the Lord and got saved. And he was baptized, and he took communion. And I thought, it is so important for us to, to receive the communion, to receive this. We become a part of him. And in that last day, what, how do I want to say this? What you place here will have the power to raise you when the day comes. That's how important it is to take communion so that you will be raised. And I know it goes along with accepting Christ. I know I'm not eliminating anything. But when they said that, it gave me even more, um, it gave me more faith for my dad because he received communion. It's vital, it's important, it's needed. Set yourself up. So Father, I just pray for revelation knowledge on each and every one of us. 
that as we have partaken of communion and as we do, that we have taken within ourselves the, the substance that will change our life, that will change our makeup, and that will guarantee resurrection life. And so I thank you for the blood. And I ask for revelation power to come forth, that there would be such a power in, in, in what you've done and what the blood represents and what your death represents, Lord, and then your resurrection, that we will be totally, totally changed and moved. So, Father, seal this word. Seal this in Jesus' name. And let every person here understand that as they partake of communion, they are changing their life on the inside out. Amen. We thank you, Jesus, for our inheritance. The sound mind we, we inherit and we pass down to our children and to our... <laughs> to our grandchildren. They will not have the spirit of fear. <clears throat> Thank you. Our children threw a, a Pam and I a 30th anniversary party last night, and it was really cool, and really a surprise. And, and um, we just thank our family and friends for being there. We had talked in the past, maybe at our 25th anniversary or something about renewing our vows. It was something we kind of talked about and never did. And I kind of figured you, you say your vows and you live them. And I'm not sure that you need to, to say them again, but it's a cool thing. But I think what's even cooler is, is the thought about renewing your commitment. The commitment is something you need to nurture, and especially in marriage, because it's forever. Or as John Sabatino said last night, it's a life sentence. But it's true, a, a commitment to a team or to a project at school or your work or something is finite, it has an end, but marriage doesn't have an end, so you need to to nurture your commitment and, and the routine of life creeps in or selfishness creeps in and your commitment may wane. So you need to refocus and reprioritize your level of commitment that you have to somebody. And so here we are at communion. The body and blood of Christ, amen. You can say it, you can repeat it every week but if it's not in your heart, if, if your commitment's not there, Jesus isn't here to, to watch you uh, repeat a routine every week. He's here to help you recommit. In John 6, 53, it says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And I would take it a step further. You can, you can take the cup and the bread here every week and still not have life in you if you're not committed. So you're called this morning to come to communion. And Jesus calls you 
as his bride. And so when you come forward, you have a chance to commune with him, and more importantly, you have a chance to commit, recommit with him.